Welcome back to the Hand on the Line podcast. This is episode two. I'm your host, Taylor Boggs. Week one went pretty well. I had some tech difficulties. I was trying to get some artwork posted on the Apple podcast, and I got a lot of help from people in the Twitter world, on the DMs, Ugh, getting some weird feedback already. I haven't changed the tech. I appreciate all the people that helped me. I haven't changed any tech. I am switching a camera angle, figuring this microphone out. Still a little sensitive. I'm going to have to change that up. Eventually, I'll roll with it for a couple more episodes since it's already paid for. Um, this past weekend, I went to an offensive line clinic, which I love. Anything offensive line, count me in. Well, I won't say that. There's some BS out there, but that's with anything, right? So I went to the 5S1 Offensive Line Summer Summit. I think it's not an annual summit. I believe it's going to be biannual. They got a January summit coming up. I will hopefully be attending that. It was in Huntington Beach, California. So I got to dip, take a dip in the ocean. It was 61 degrees. It felt good, refreshing. Hung out there for about 18 minutes and then drove over to the, the summit. And it was hosted by my friends Kyle Murphy and Tom Blazer. You probably know Blaze. You probably blocked him on Twitter. And overall, great presentation. I've presented at um, clinics or seminars where I was the one presenting, and they were there probably four or five times. I think they came to the came out to Arizona three or four times, and uh, once at the Glazer Clinic, Glazer Clinic, and oh, we built that relationship, you know, through the clinics and through the Twitter world, eventually text messages. But great guys, great guys, and they put on a great clinic, and you know. A lot of their principles match with the ones that I have taught in the past for the company I work for. And I learned a lot of new things. They say things through a different lens. And I, in the future, wherever I'm going with this O-line stuff, you know, I haven't fully decided. They've helped me change and even sharpen and mold how I would present these principles for helping develop offensive line athletes. Hold on, let me move this a little. And... You know, that, that was important, you know. We had similar principles, if not the same, but the way they presented them, that, that's what probably impacted me the most over the seminar. Great job. They're truly into it. They're truly passionate about this O-line thing. I love that also. Uh, kind of makes me think of Jordan Peterson. I know a lot of people hate him. A lot of people love him. I like him. You know, um, building personal competence or working on your competence and all these things and working on the individual. I love all that stuff. He's deeply rooted in the Carl Jung, my favorite psychoanalyst approach. He's not a psychoanalyst himself though, but you know, a lot of his principles came from there, but he had a rule in one of his books. Again, he's not the gospel to me. I just happen to like his books. Because one of his books, he had a rule that says when you um, speak to someone, speak as if you can learn from them. Don't act like you know everything. So, to me, I've taught them, and they taught me. I went to their seminar with an open mind, and I learned a lot. I got better. I appreciate that, Blaze and Kyle. Um, I'd say the biggest thing I took from them, and I got a bunch of notes. I don't want to give everything away because um, I don't think that's fair because they're going to you know revamp this for another summit. But one thing I do appreciate about the O-line world on Twitter is that everyone is sharing. I just wrote a bunch of tweets on hog football chat everyone's sharing don't think you own this crap you know someone else has done it 
before you or they'll do it after you. Other players, other coaches, just share, man. Let's elevate this damn position. It's, it's awesome now. It used to just be the fat guys or me, the skinny guy, hanging out with fat guys. Now it's it's cool. It's the cool thing to do, you know. Get the PFF scores, watch the highlights, you know, hit up Brandon Thorne and Duke and see what's going on. It's changed. I love it. Um, so one of the biggest things I took, well, not I took many things. My favorite thing they said, hold on, I'm going to check my phone, check out my notes. Um, getting weird feedback with the mic. It's pissing me off. Oh, the athletes feel is more important than the coach's control. I love that. That took me down many rabbit holes because, you know, if we're coaching or developing somebody, we've or even been on the other end of it, we're getting coached. You know, it's it can't be one size fits all. If you just have a method that you're standing by, remember methods are many, principles are few. If you just have a method you're standing by, you're gonna find someone that doesn't work for. Even a principle, it won't work for. Everyone's got different body types, different strengths, different weaknesses, different levels of athleticism. Uh, some guys are, you know, more daring on the field. You're going to find somebody that your method or principle does not fit with. And what do you do? You just blame them? I mean, that's the easy way. I feel like, you know, if you've done this for years, I feel like that's probably the way you take it. Like, I'm sick of this. I've done this enough. I've developed enough guys. But, I mean, if you really wanted to take each individual serious and help them, you know, get as far as they they can in this game or find success in this game, success being, you know, reaching their full potential. It doesn't have to be Hall of Fame. You know, that was a hard pill for me to swallow, but it's true. You know, helping them reach their full success. You got to be adaptable. You got to listen to the athlete, you know, and I think that's the most important thing. And they were very clear about that. You know, they had two – uh, models there, you know, they had two video vixens there going through all the, their drills and coaching cues, and they just asked the athletes many questions, you know, what do you feel, what do you think, it was never them being like, try, do this, it was just them communicating and, que- and asking them questions, and they would just, you know, coach themselves up, which is awesome, like, they're making more competent athletes, and if you're coach that gets one of those athletes that's more self-aware understands their body and space understands how to fix things you're going to be happy right so that's awesome um just going down that rabbit hole of you know you having a method or principle that doesn't work for the next athlete i remember at humboldt state we had a guy John Hughes, my friend, he's now the offensive line coach for Dixie State University. Dixie State University, odd place. It was a JUCO, then it was a D2, now it's 1AA, and it's in Utah. It's, it's great, but he's a great O-line coach, and he was a really good football player at Humboldt State. Was not built like an O-lineman by any means. Like, I'm not built like an O-lineman. I'm not, you know, I'm 6'1", 280. It's not your traditional build, but... I mean, I'm 6'5", 295. One of those uh, measurements is true. I'm not going to say which one, but I'm 6'5", 295. One of the measurements is true. So, but John Hughes had these tiny legs, right? And I think they were exasperated because he was, the look of him, because he was trying to gain weight, you know, so he was top heavy. I think now he looks 
much more, you know, equal upper and lower body. But it was tiny legs. I think it's John, I love you, but I know they had to special order those Donjoys. But <laughs> they, they, they might have gave him elbow braces for his knees. Anyways, really good player. He started a bunch of games at guard, really small. And, you know, he had a good old line coach at Western Washington. They dropped their program. He transferred to Humboldt State. And our old line, you know, I think he was truly a center. But, he, you know, he was tough kid, a tough guy. Smart, he was able to play multiple positions pretty much wherever you need them. I'm sure he could have figured out tackle just because the way he was. So our O-line coach, you know, he was coaching Coach Manoa Puano. He, he would coach everyone up in a similar fashion. And it didn't necessarily work for John. And he caught on to that real quick. And he goes, um, John, try this. He had him jump set. He was like, I want you to jump set, throw your hands real quick, and then get fit, you know, and get set and then kind of set back. But get your hands on him. And that's not how he was coaching everyone else up. Is this on? This microphone is really pissing me off. Sorry. He wasn't coaching everyone like that. He was, you know, we were just taking sets, staying inside out, you know, kind of short set to regular set. But he was having John jump set. He was smaller. And he was not a center. He was not a guard. But he was, he was a center playing guard. And he was taking good sets. And he was playing good ball. And he started a bunch of games his sophomore and junior year. And at guard. Both sides. But Coach P was aware that the things he said didn't work for everyone, but he made a you know a distinction. He was like, hey, I played with Ryan Wendell, who I was a huge fan of when he was on the Patriots. He played guard and center also, and he was not your prototypical alignment, and he started for the Patriots probably, I don't know, 54 games or four, three or four years in a row. I don't think he really missed any games. And he said, Ryan did this when he played guard before he moved to center at Fresno State. That was his teammate. Or, yeah, it was his teammate. Maybe he was a grad assistant coach also for him. But the point is is that Coach P was, you know, aware enough, small enough ego to say, hey, you could do it this way. I love that. Because it was, one, like, hey, John's like, hey, I'm I'm doing exactly what you're saying. It's not working. Well, what do you do? You tell him, hey, John, well, screw you. You're stealing from the university. Give your scholarship away. No, you adapt, right? Just like you ask a player to adapt. Sometimes you got to adapt. So it's more, it's more about the player's feel than, you know, the coach's control. So when I go down this uh, O-line world, I'm going to always keep that in mind. No matter what I'm teaching, hey, just listen to this guy. Like, why would I pass up? John Hughes ended up being the I think he was the team captain. He grew after I graduated, he grew a mullet. I believe he was the team captain. They referred to him as the heart and soul of the offensive line. I believe that. He was in multiple newspaper articles up there uh with the Lumberjacks and still screw HSU, Humboldt State, scumbags, but you know, and Coach P just been like, ah, screw it, man. He's not doing what I'm saying. He can't do it. Let's get rid of him. Get the scholarship to someone else. Like, he would have missed out on a good player, you know. And they won the conference championship. They they played on CBS Sports and beat Central Washington uh, with him as the starting center. So it was because the coach was able to adapt and listen to the athlete and recognize the athlete just didn't do well in that technique. I see trainers do this, you know. This is how I teach it. Well, I like to jump set. Well, screw you. No, adapt. Like, 
listen to the athlete. Watch them. You know, we're all different. Everyone is unique. I think they say you perfectly imperfect, something like that. So that was a great coaching point. And another point about the clinic is that you could just tell that Blaze and Murph are truly passionate about this. I mean, you do not get blocked weekly because you're not passionate about something on Twitter. But they were truly the balls deep in this. I don't want to say that. There's men and women coaches. There was a woman coach there. She's awesome too and a former player. So this is they're two feet in on this thing. Passionate about offensive line play, which I love. I believe in this world, when you go down this rabbit hole and you start recognizing things that were dogmatic, that you were taught and that you taught to other people, um, I'll give you two. The shoots and, let's say, speed ladders. You know, you realize they're BS. I think it's easy that you kind of be like, oh, man, everything I did and I taught was BS. But the cream just kind of rises to the top, and it doesn't matter. Maybe I don't focus on developing people. It's easy to have, like, a nihilist approach to this. You know, you find out, like, oh, I, you get a, a true weight room guy. Squats 500 for 10 reps like nothing, but he sucks at football. When you start seeing these things, it makes you become, like, a little nihilist in this old line world. Like, man, it doesn't matter. Just give me the best athletes. They'll figure it out. Or we'll cover it up with scheme. But, no, these guys were truly passionate about it. They were building more competent players. Um, just a great seminar. I learned a lot. I appreciate it, Kyle. I appreciate it, Blaze. Can't wait to come back in January. I missed day two because my daughter got sick. So, you know, uh, I got to check out. I got to check out the um, the stream you did for day two. But yeah, great day. Good to see that. So, as many takeaways I got, but that's the one I loved was. More about the athlete's feel, less about the coach's control. So don't be so rigid. Think about that. If you get an athlete that questions you in a respectful manner, you know, you say, I teach jump set. That's what I do. I want you to beat them to the rush. We're going to jump set. And you got an athlete that struggles with it. And he anyway goes to coach, maybe I like to take this half set or regular set. I don't like to jump across the line. Um, just think about Hear them out as long as they're respectful. You know what I mean. Like players, don't be don't be dicks. You know what I mean. It's hard to check your ego when you're a dick. But listen to them in a respectful manner. Listen to them. Hear them out, and then work through it. You know how do you adapt to that? Kind of like that. What's your automatic thought that comes to your head? That'd be like the cognitive behavioral therapy approach to this. So if you have an automatic thought, you go, "Oh, he's uncoachable. Oh, he's a he's a little shit," and then. It changes your behavior towards that guy. So just be aware of your automatic thoughts. Like, he's not trying to disrespect you all the time. You know, the player really just wants to be the best he can. And if he's struggling with something, but he thinks he's like, hey, if I try this, if it's okay with you, you know? So just be aware of your automatic automatic thoughts. Be aware of what that athlete's capable of. Be aware of his field. Not, don't be so rigid. It's not, not all about control. I know you want the O-line to work as a system, but you want people to be successful, you know? And if you have a limited number of players, I mean, you got to, you know, if you're in high school, you got five guys. You got, let's say you got seven guys in your own line. You lose one, you know, if you've uh, got this guy doing something he's not good at, he's, you know, he's responsible for the quarterback's health also or the running back's health. So just 
keep that in mind, guys. That was a great coaching point. It's less about your control, more about the athlete's feel. Um, a lot of rabbit holes to go down off of that seminar. And it just, the fact that it was things that I've taught before and seeing it through a different lens, it just, I'm, the wheels are spinning again. You know, I needed that. I haven't had a lot of O-line going on lately, just, you know, watching film and shooting the crap with my friends on text messages, but that was good, you know, back in that O-line setting. Um, I wanted to talk about this wrestling, martial arts, all that stuff in O-line play. I saw Blaze post something. I'm sure you got blocked because of it. I think that was like a week or two ago. But um, I had an interesting discussion with a couple pals, and uh, one of my buddies that plays in the NFL, I won't say his name, was just doing Muay Thai this weekend. Uh, in the Midwest, I love Muay Thai. It's, I do it once a week. Um, so it comes back to this question, you know, and this is sensitive. Holy crap. I've never seen tough guys get just such an uproar over wrestling, making offensive line athletes better. Offensive linemen are better. It teaches them leverage. It teaches them body control. It teaches them to compete. There's no way to become competitive. Oh, my gosh. I've never heard people speak so definitively. It's nuts. There's nuance. It's offensive line. It's, it has to be nuanced. There's systems. There's body types. There's defense you're facing. There's different sized opponents. You know what I mean? Nuance. It's, a, it's okay. So I'm going to give my hot take on this. I'm, I'm going to go. I haven't planned this out too well. So I'm just going to, like I said, I'm just going to keep rolling. Hopefully you don't get too confused. And hopefully I don't confuse myself. But by the end of this, hopefully we have something to talk about. And I'm going to piss a lot of people off, I imagine, on both sides because of nuance. That's the N-word. My coach in Chicago and Detroit used to call. He used to get so mad about everything being so nuanced. And he would always say it. And he would get mad at how repetitive he was with saying nuance. And he started saying it was the N-word meaning. He was a white guy from Arkansas. He definitely can't say it or shouldn't say it. Um, so, yeah, nuance. All right, so in – okay. I'm going to come at this from a few different angles. All right. We have to look at offensive line as its own skill. And right now, let's just look at wrestling. I just started wrestling for the last, past year, once a week, every Tuesday night. And I used to do it bare feet until to, now I finally got some wrestling shoes. Too many blisters. So – I like wrestling, not anti-wrestling. Didn't do it in high school. Thought it was gross. The room stunk. Uh, we had a lot of students at our school, too. So everyone pretty much played one sport with a few exceptions. So you didn't want to lose your spot. You know, we had 100 guys. Probably graduated over 1,000 kids um, in our class. So I didn't wrestle until I was in my 30s. Now I love it. All right. It's its own skill. It's a separate skill. They have similar traits. Most things where you're moving does. For example, Blaze and Kyle, they had the athletes in their warm-up, which is an awesome warm-up, which I stole it. I did it today, actually, before my leg day. They had the athletes right before they did skill, they would do some accelerations, uh, falling, and then also from a knee, and then from a knee where they would slam their foot down for some reactive impulse direction. They were able to show the parallels between those accelerations and O-line play, even though they were running like sprinters, even though they're in a different base. They're not on their insteps, you know. 
But there's parallels between movement. So, we, okay, there's parallels between movement. And then you go wrestling and O-line play. Or parallels. Yeah, okay. You're moving. You have a stance. You have a posture. Uh, you're having to create leverage with guys. You know, you're having to wrestle with guys. You're having to battle with guys in both sports. Okay. But it's two different skills. So we have to look at it. What could you possibly get from wrestling that, you, um, that could carry over to O-line play? And I'll say this. And it, I'll say just like the weight room, uh, just like when you're running, you're trying to enhance the traits that can be used to show up as skills. Just like we're squatting. We're trying to get stronger. We're trying to increase our relative strength. However you want to word it, we're trying to pre- increase our force production. Um, everyone has a different why, right? When they all kind of fit in that same spectrum. But you're trying to enhance traits that can basically show up as skill to make you better at your sport. Now, I will say, I do believe that maybe that wrestling can enhance traits, make you more aware of your traits, can challenge traits that can show up in offensive line play. But in the, the day, traits are not skills. So I'm not dead set on saying no, you don't need to wrestle, right? I'm not, or, okay, you Okay, you don't, actually, okay, you don't need to wrestle, but I'm not dead set on saying that wrestling can't help you. I think that's crazy. It's like saying track can't help you. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it can help you, okay? But it's not what makes people great, and that'll take you down another rabbit hole about specializing, and um, I'm not for specializing, but I'm not for telling, I'm, I'm more about the athlete doing what the hell they want to do, you know? Like, I guess I specialized. I hated baseball. My mom made me play it until I was 12, despised it. And when I no longer had to play it, I only played football. Um, With the exception of eighth grade, I made the basketball team. I didn't make it in seventh grade, but in eighth grade, I made it. Um, Hated that too. But, yeah, I specialized because I hated all the other sports. I just liked football. So back to the wrestling. When someone says, only way to get better at football, you hear all these crazy quotes uh, the best way for you to get better at football is to wrestle. Let's say maybe. Maybe it helps. All right? So I guess that's not a stance. Am I standing on I'm on the fence about it? Okay. So it can enhance the traits. But then there's this whole psychological aspect. You know what I mean? We, and we can enhance the traits you use to play O-line without wrestling, without going to wrestling class, you know, without sacrificing losing weight without sacrificing, you know, training energy systems. Not that I'm so hell-bent on everything has to be anaerobic, five to ten seconds. I'm not. You know, I like tempos and stuff like that. But I could teach you leverage as an offensive line athlete. It doesn't involve shoots either. I can teach you body control, training as an offensive line athlete. We have drills and awareness things that we can do, okay? So we could do it without wrestling. But I'll say this, when you talk to guys that wrestled, and I'll just say at the highest level, so I'll say guys oh, guys that play in the NFL that wrestled, they will swear by it that it made them better. And we've gone as far as to see a lineman on the Super Bowl champion, t- or not champion, this year they didn't win. On the Chiefs, he was doing drills, he was shooting. I believe he was even sprawling before the game. And that's everyone's argument, you know what I mean? I When I saw that, I was like, ugh. 
guys are going to be so empowered by that. The, the wrestling crowd makes you better. Is going to be so empowered. Um, so that's the psychological aspect. Is that guy was doing shoots before the game or shooting before the game, working his takedown on air, sprawling before the game. He truly believed that's helping him as a football player. Don't take that away from him, all right? Don't argue that with him. He believes that, and he's the man in the arena. He's getting in the trenches. Why would you argue that with him? So from a development standpoint, I'd say, no, you don't need to. I'd say it can help. But psychologically, I want to go down this rabbit hole. This is the most interesting one to me. The psychological aspect of, now I'll start bringing in all martial arts, okay? About why I don't, I, why you don't want to kill the player. I remember Dan Pfaff and, uh, from Altus was talking about it. He said he, recru- I think he was at his high school, back when he was a high school coach, he recruited a basketball player to do the high jump. And he was talking about um, over the year he was really good, but by the end of the when he first started high jumping, he was real good after he learned the technique. By the end of the year, he'd actually dropped all his numbers, and he finally came up to coach and was like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I've literally gotten worse. I'm wasting my time. And when he sat back, when, coach, when Dan just kind of sat back and looked at it, he was like, well, what were you doing before? And after he trained him as a high jumper all year, as a track guy all year, he goes, well, before, I just played basketball. You asked me to come out here. I showed up and jumped. And he said when he trained him, he actually, his jump went down. So he finally, and this is this is amazing coaching, sir. This is just no ego, just self-awareness. This is the ultimate story about, like we said, less about my control, more about the athlete's feel. He just told them, hey, you know what? Screw it. Just play basketball. Then come jump for me. And when he did that, he improved. He got his numbers up. He got better. So as Dan said it, I believe he says he killed the beast. Uh, I heard in one of my martial arts coach, they talk coach, they talk about slaying the dragon. Don't slay the dragon. So that's true. So if some and I now I'm gonna go down some crazy rabbit holes. Holy crap. Now they're spinning. Sorry. I'm going to ramble. Blaze is going to call me out. People call me out on Twitter about my rambling. Holy shit. Here it comes, guys. Get ready. So, about slaying the dragon, meaning like you tell an athlete, hey, wrestling's not going to help you. And they're hell-bent on, no, I'm better because I wrestle. I still like to practice the drills. That's why I'm a good old lineman. Let them do it. Are you kidding me? That's what they think got them there? And, and maybe it, it, it is what got them there. Why would you take that from them? That's the psychological aspect. And we do this all the time. I've seen it strength coaches in the NFL. I've seen O-line coaches in the NFL. I've seen it at every level. I've seen it in the private sector. Is that it comes so much about control. And you're trying to be non-dogmatic. Because I would say that's like a dogmatic thing. The only way to get better at football O-line is to wrestle. And it teaches you to become competitive and blah, blah, blah. That's dogmatic BS. And people end up fighting that in a dogmatic way. Like, hey, let's listen to the athlete. Don't slay that athlete's dragon. So have an athlete, hey, wrestling gets me better, let him do it. Have an athlete, hey, I go to striking once a week. I feel like my hands are better uh, because of it. And they believe that. Why would you take that away from them? 
Why would you argue with them about that? You yet the the thing about offensive line and sports in general, I believe it's a little giant's quote. It's eighty percent mental and forty percent physical, and it doesn't add up because this thing does not equal. It, there's too many moving parts. It's multifactorial. There's fractals. There's spirals like Gota. There's too much going on. So don't slay the athlete's dragon. Now, if we look at the metaphorical, the, the dragon and the princess story, we look at that. Okay, the dragon is either leading them to their goal or the dragon is getting in the way of their goal, right? The dragon being their, uh, sometimes represent your anxiety, the princess being your goal, right? We're just talking about you slay a dragon, you get the princess. Let's let, let's keep it funny. Let's look at it as like a Shrek movie, okay? So sometimes that dragon is getting in the way, right? It's not leading them, right? Your inner dragon. So that dragon is getting in the way. You can't just tell the athlete like, okay, now let's go outside of martial arts. You got an athlete that likes to lift heavy. He's a true meathead, Okay. And you're like, oh, it's not helping you at this point. You squat 1,000 pounds, 1,005 is not going to make you better at football. We can focus on other things. Well, you don't take away what that athlete thinks. Like, even if it really is inhibiting at this point, the dragon's in their way. It's preventing them from growing. They're spending too much time on squatting instead of development of their skill. Okay, you have to meet them where they're at. You can't just take it away from them because now... We're going down this psychological rabbit hole. We're gonna fuck. We're gonna f some athletes up. Excuse me. Excuse me for cursing. So you have an athlete. You go, hey, heavy weights are not what you need. You need functional. Whatever. We're gonna do balance stuff. Da da da. Some strength coaches in the NFL are like that. So let's say you get that guy to buy in. You take away what he believes got here. You slayed the dragon because it was inhibiting, inhibiting him from success. It was getting in his way. Just start doing some goofy stuff. And that athlete gets out there first day of camp after buying in. Even though, like, hey, I got here being a meathead. It's what I need. I need heavyweight. All right? Or I need wrestling. Or I need uh, jiu-jitsu. Or I need striking. I need Muay Thai. I have to do it. And you take that away. You replace it with a bunch of weird stuff. And they bought in, okay? They show up week one at camp. They put the pads on. And they get smoked. The first thing that comes to their mind was, holy crap, I screwed up. I should have been lifting. And now they start thinking about what they should have been doing. They start thinking about what they're doing next, blah, blah, blah. And they just get this great deal of resentment because they're not thinking clear because it's camp. And who do they resent? Their coach, their trainer, uh, whoever, their friend that they were working out with in their garage, in my case, at Shabooms. So they become resentful. And they're not able to manage the the logic that comes with resent, you know, resent tells you two things. You were dealing with a tyrant or you were, you know, you need to suck it up and man up. You know, that's what resent tells you. It's a brutal, it's a brutal emotion. No one ever has said I wanted to uh, raise a resentful child or I'm trying to make resentful men. I'm the head coach and I want resentful men. We don't want that. It happens though. And when you're logical about it, you use resent. It says, hey, I was dealing with a tyrant or... I need to man up, you know? So you put an athlete out there, they're resentful first day of camp, and they're screwed. They're not going to perform. Resent is not an emotion that most emotions not conducive towards success, right? We want logic. Eventually, the older you get it, it sets in. But you're screwed. You slayed the dragon. They're resentful. They hate you. 
And now they've lost all their confidence. And that is the worst thing you could do. Um, I was talking to Olin this week. I hope he doesn't beat me up if he hears this. Uh, he had the greatest quote. It's so simple, but to me, it hit home. He said he was talking to the guys he works with and was like, he's not training for week one. He goes, the problem is everyone's training for week one, right? Uh, you do these extra sets of squat. You do your extra pass sets. You're doing your extra work. You're doing your mobility, your recovery, because you're training for week 16, he said. I think he meant 17. I think he forgot about the bye week. Do not beat me up, Olin. But he said he was training for week 16. Not week one. He said he doesn't care how he played week one. He said he wanted his best ball to be week 11. I was like, holy shit. That was a great point. That is a great point. So, if you, once you, once you make a resentful athlete because you slayed that dragon, you can forget about week 11 because we, the camp's going to look like hell because now they're not confident. They're like, I didn't do what I needed to do. You, they don't get that time back, man. And now they're in their head. What are they going to do? If they like heavyweight, go max out in camp a couple times and be smoked. Go find a, uh, someone to wrestle with or box with during camp. They'll be smoked. So don't slay their dragons. You know, listen to that athlete. It's uh, it's interesting, too, because uh, I'm not – I'm not on the side like oh I'm 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 not two feet in at all about O line wrestling or anything for that matter is the answer to making great athletes. I think it comes down to helping them become more competent, uh, more confident, better decision makers. You know that whole self organization. I think that's the key. And then you have all these other things that can enhance the traits that come that turn into skill. Like okay, we want to be strong. We want to be able to accelerate. You want to throw in some max velocity. I know that's crazy. We don't run. We probably won't reach max velocity. I think Stuart McMill said you're training for the chaos that could happen. Maybe you reach max velocity. But even then, like, when you run max velocity, like, you can't really touch those fibers any other way in your hamstrings, uh, recruit that many fibers. So we're doing all these things and wrestling and striking in the offseason because – we're trying to enhance the traits, but don't get away from the psychological point. You know, if a guy's a meathead, let him be a meathead and then meet him with what you think he needs elsewhere. You know, if a guy likes to wrestle, let him get some rounds in, you know, or if a guy likes to strike, warm up with striking. You know, don't, there's a psychological thing. I, I'll tell a story. When I was in high, damn, this is, ah, fudge it. So when I was in high school, I was at a, 16 i was at a hotel party sorry mom i wasn't really at reggie's house i was at a hotel party i wasn't a perfect kid uh i was on the honor roll and dean's list in college i never ditched and that is true but uh i was not at reggie's house that night mom i apologize i was at a hotel party scuffle happened stupid young kid uh i took advantage of a group in front of me and i hit a guy you know and he got mad and he had just got out of jail and his brother played on our high school team. Uh, and he looked at me, and he wiped his mouth, and he said he was, he's going to get me. And I knew this guy meant business. And uh, then later that night, I was I found out he just got out of jail. He just did nine months in county. And I was like, whew, dodged a bullet. And I didn't. Didn't dodge a bullet. So a couple days later, uh, or no, the next week, actually, my teammate calls me, actually chirped me on our Boost Mobiles and said, hey, my brother wants to fight you. And I was like, who's your brother? 
He said, the guy you hit at the hotel when you are supposed to be at Reggie's house last weekend. I said, shoot. I said, okay, when and where? He told me when and where. That day, I drove over there. He said, I'll take care of it. No one's going to jump in, blah, blah, blah. I said, cool. I've been called on. I got to go do what I got to do because I have to be tough, right? Pull up. Cool car. 85 Crown Victoria. Blacked out tinted windows. Rag top. 16-inch Dayton's. Tough guy stuff. Pull up. Never felt so cool in my life. Not allowed to say it when I was little, but I was wearing, a, a, you know, the undershirts. The, we weren't allowed to call them wife beaters because my mom would hit us in the back of the head. And uh, so I pull up. My teammate's standing out there. There's his brother. I get out. Car. I'm a little nervous because he looks intense, and he's still mad, and he has hate in his eyes. I did not hate this guy. I didn't know him. I was just doing what kids do. You know, this guy was fresh out the county. And anyways, went on, tried to hit him. He slammed me, shot down like a wrestler, and slammed me on the ground and got up, and he hit me eight times. I came out of the thing looking like the elephant man. I had bumps all over my head. Well, I had hair back then, but you could feel the bumps. It was brutal. And uh, he was like, you had enough? I was like, yeah. He let me up. He shook my hand. The, my teammate shook my hand, and he was like, hey, I respect you. I can't believe you showed up. And then I was like, oh, crap. Monday is going to be brutal. Monday is going to suck. Everyone's going to be clowning me. Uh, and the teammate didn't tell anyone about it. What about that? Just solid. Did me a solid because he respected the fact that I showed up, that he decided not to tell anyone. Incredible. And uh, But after that, I was a little, I was messed up, you know. And I think I talked about last week, you know, like about previous performances impacting our later performances. Well, the dragon was slayed, and he slayed it. The minute I was slammed to the ground, it was slayed. So after that, I was like, oh, I was broken, man. You know, I used to go to the gym every morning with my grandpa, and I was getting strong every day. My grandpa was a psycho. Uh, he would come to my house at 530. He had a VW Volkswagen diesel, and it would just shake our windows, and he would honk this obnoxious horn. My mom would lose it on me because I should have been out there before he honked the horn, waking up the neighborhood, and he would take me to the gym. And he said if I didn't go to the gym with him, I was a, insert explicit, it wasn't a good thing. I wasn't good. It was something to do with a uh, female genitalia is what he was referring to. So, I would, of course, I didn't want to be that. So I would go to the gym with him every morning at 5.30, sharp. Well, I was getting really strong, and I would work out with my team after school, and the weights didn't matter because I just got my ass kicked. By my friends or my teammates' brother, and uh, the like I said, the dragon was slayed. So after that, at the gym we used to train at, there was uh, a lot of fighters there back in the day, you know. But they were specialized. There was a judo guy that did MMA, so he was decent at striking, but he taught judo. And then there was a boxing guy. And uh, well, I don't. You guys won't find Tommy. Uh, I said Tommy. I need to learn how to fight. I said, because uh, I thought I knew how to, and I thought these weights were working, and uh, I just got embarrassed this week. I said, I got slammed. And, you know, the guy was older than me, but he was smaller than me, and it was humbling. The dragon was slayed. The weights weren't working. And uh, Tommy goes, there's three things I know in this world, bro. (laughs) He goes, he goes, boxing, black women, black women, and cocaine. I said, well, I'm only interested in two of those. He goes, well, I'm a recovered addict, so we're good. 
And I was like, which one are you addicted to? And he goes, that's a good point. He goes, I'm 10 years clean from cocaine. I said, okay. So he trained me in boxing when I was, I think, 16 for like three weeks in the morning. But he helped me get my confidence back. And uh, so ever since then, in off seasons, I like to do a couple weeks of boxing. I had a guy out here in Arizona named Eric. Uh, when I was on the Lions, the team used to go boxing uh, in Chicago. I do stuff with Olin Krutz and uh, Roberto Garza. But, you know, I, I never got away from that. So I say all of that because it, when my dragon was slayed, it helped bring it back. You know, not that fighting, street fighting with guys that just got out of jail and football are the same, but, you know, I kind of had a mentality. And that boxing always kept me honest. Like, remember, these weights, they're not bulletproof. You know, throughout my career, you got to do something. It's like that movie uh, Once for Warrior with Jake the Musk when he was like, he beats the guy up in the bar and he goes, comes back to his friends and he's like too much, beats up a big buff guy and he's like too much weights, not enough speed work, useless prick. That's kind of where my mindset always was. So like from the psychological standpoint, from when that guy just slayed my dragon in McCarthy Park uh, right under the concrete, uh, I always bought. So I say all that to no wrestling, in my opinion, and I could back this up a million ways, is not necessarily going. To, it's not. Oh, it's not the answer to make you better at offensive line play. There's a million ways you can teach competition. It, we focus on confidence. We focus on competence. We focus on decision making uh, and adaptability. That's you know the competition when it's time to go there. Let's go. They're gonna make the right decisions. You know, I see. I haven't got a story about that. We had this big giant about the confidence factor with wrestling. We had this big giant makes varsity as a freshman for playoffs. The coach, he was what, what coaches would say soft, meaning he was fourteen uh, and bigger than everybody, and trying to hide from everyone. You know, he would kind of walk hunched over because he didn't like standing out. And the coach tells him to wrestle. He never told anyone to do it in a two sports. He said it would toughen him up. He goes into wrestling, gets slammed around by guys that are older than him, more skilled than him, and to me, he came out less confident than he went in. So it didn't do that. It didn't make him more confident. So there's that argument. So no, wrestling, martial arts is not the answer. It's not the end-all, be-all. It is a tool that can enhance traits. It can show up. But if it's something the athlete freaking believes in, do not slay that athlete's dragon. And if it's a dragon that's inhibiting them, work with them. Help them realize it. Don't take it from them. You know, If it's heavy weights, I don't care what it is. Don't take it away from them. Help them realize by other means, by slowly exposing them to new factors. If you think they need to just do split squats and stop maxing out on squat every week, let them max out on squats, add some split squat sets in. You know what I mean? And then eventually, if they believe it, then it's right. If they believe, hey, the split squats are right, you're right, that's what I needed. But if they're not sold and they're just buying in because they're just buying in because you sound convincing, you're going to have them resentful and performing poorly and that's a hard, hard mindset to get out of in training camp. So don't slay the drag. And I don't know. I don't know the other lesson. Don't street fight. And if they're fresh out of jail, don't don't trust the weights too much if you haven't been doing speed work. Because that was that was tough performance to come back from. Um I'm gonna end this one with some psychology. And then I'm gonna get to bed. Uh kind of talking about this you know the control feel thing 
uh, in my family or group counseling class, or no, this is from family counseling. Uh, this is talking about open and closed chain systems. Oh, I'm going to read this. Like I said, you know, as we progress, we get these followers up and I become this big influencer. You know, maybe you can see what I'm reading. Now just follow me. So open and closed systems. A system is a continuous interaction with the outside. It's considered an open system. While one whose boundaries are not easily crossed is considered a closed system. Okay, that's easy enough to grasp. It has interaction with outside, open. No interaction, it's closed. Open systems do more than adapt passively to their surroundings. Their social transactions are bidirectional. They initiate activities that permit an exchange with the community because their boundaries are permeable. Closed systems, on the, on the other hand, are impermeable boundaries. Thus, they fail to interact with the outside environment, lack feedback, corrective mechanisms, become isolated, and resist change. So one of the coaches, Coach Drag on Twitter, I put this up maybe like a month ago. He, you know, he said, it's not intuitive, but you can't be fully closed, fully open. And that's the only quote. And then they actually say that in here. You know, it says, in a family terms, no system is fully open or closed. If it were totally open, no boundaries would exist because it's outside the world and it would cease to exist at a separate ent entity. If totally closed, there would be no exchanges with outside environment and it would die. So the point is here is to have a happy medium. And so it can't be all about control. You can always learn. You can always grow. Just like how I don't have a closed system. Uh, when it comes to this O-line thing, I try to be as open as possible. And I look at everyone as there's something I can learn from. I'm not beefing with any coaches. I'm not culty. I'm not campy. I don't care tip of the spear, tip of your asshole. It doesn't matter to me. I find, I believe there's something I could agree with. Um, and I'm not like on the fence about things or some like, you know, fair weather offensive line guy. It's just, hey, when I'm trying to be the best I can be, I am, uh, I want to learn as much as I can. I want to be a student of the game. There's too many different uh, bodies and uh, backgrounds to not owe it to the to 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 have to have a closed mind like you owe it to the future of this game to learn as much as you can right um even methods you know I, like five is one line in the seminar that said they're rooted in principles right but even methods like learning a new method that i can adapt into my principles keep an open mind right don't be so closed-minded try to grow and when you're coaching or developing or whatever, same. And again, you don't want to be completely closed or open, right? Like I have, obviously I'm going to draw a line somewhere. You don't want to be, uh, just have a bunch of noise. If it's if you're just completely open, you have a bunch of noise, you're confused, your athletes, you know, kind of stand for something or fall for everything type deal. But that was an interesting thing. Uh, I'll read the last chapter of this. Uh, just so you know how if you're just going to be so closed off. Uh, an example of a closed system is a type of religious cult that closes out the world beyond its borders, specifically to halt the flow of information from the outside world in that way to control the behavior of its members. Similarly, similarly totalitarian countries that do not permit foreign newspapers, radio, or television, or access to Internet also represent systems deliberately closed to controlled citizens 
behavior. Okay, so not to make things political, but let's say you're, and I see this, and I just sit back. I'm just here for the chaos sometimes, but I see there's liberal coaches and Republican coaches. So this will be easy. Like they just explained the closed system is a communist, right? So if you're a Republican, don't be a communist. Have an open mind, right? You don't know everything. It's about the athletes. Uh, and if you're a communist, hey, it's still about the athletes. It's, you're not you're not stalling, right? I'm going to get canceled for that. Damn it. I didn't want to go political. I dropped a, uh, a gay joke last week. I tried to. Ah. Well, anyways, closed systems, open systems. There's a happy medium, right? But at the end of the day, it's about the athletes. It's about the athletes feel. We want to see them reach their full potential. It's not so much about your control. So that let's wrap that up, man. We're following under an hour still. Maybe as I get my tech up, you know, and I show you stuff on the screen, and we'll get to the hour mark. Um, that's how I'm going to keep it going right now is uh, I'm going to keep trying to marry these psychology stuff with uh, the O-line stuff. Anyways, uh, five is one O-line summer summit. Awesome job, guys. Highly recommend anything they got going on. There's so much good information out here, so many good coaches. Just keep learning. Remember, this is about advancing the position of offensive line. Uh, it's about advancing your guys. It's about just overall success. And I love how open everyone is right now and sharing and supportive, man. Holy crap. There's people which you should be competing with, you know. Uh, same county, same city, same state, you know, private sector. Uh, or coaches that wouldn't want their guys going to your clinics and they're rooting for you and they're paying for your summit. You know, I love that, man. I love I love that uh, humility and that respect for the position. All right, so there we have it. Uh, Hand on the line, episode two. We'll get back to you next week.